Well, good morning. We appreciate you being here, and we do want to remind you, August the 10th, we start this new series. Dave Dionato is going to lead us through that series. In fact, next week, Dave is going to talk about the why of that series, so you don't want to miss that. Relevant faith, the real faith that we have, we're going to have all the youth group. The youth group normally meets this time of the service. We're going to have everyone in the service together because we, be- we believe it is critical that we nail down these essential truths of the Christian faith. And we understand it. First, we got to understand it so we can share it with our kids and we can share it with our grandkids and we can share it with those we work next to. Does God really exist? Is the Bible true? those basic things that we need to be sharing with others. Again, Dave's going to talk about that next week, and he's going to lead us through that series starting on August, you say it, August the 10th, you got it. Also, remember the celebration weekend, we're doing some something a little different, we're going to ask you to come two times, we're going to ask you to come Saturday night for this great celebration, uh, uh, all this stuff going together, and then on Sunday, we'll have the baptisms and and child dedications and all those things. So be sure to mark that down, September 21 and 22, a great time of celebration. Just like in the Old Testament, Israel went to Jerusalem three times a year to celebrate together, so we're going to do that uh, here at the Bible Chapel. And did they say anything? There are going to be food trucks here. Did you guys hear that? Okay, very cool, very cool. Wanted to make sure you got that. Thank you, Lord, for our time together. Thank you for now turning our hearts as we have worshipped you, now to worship you as we look, look at your word. Lord, only you <clears throat> can keep our attention. Only you can keep distractions from our mind. Only you can open up areas of our heart that are just hard and we have pushed aside for too long. And so I pray, Lord, today that you would do your work, that you would speak to us in a very clear way, that you would speak to us in an intimate way. That, Lord, you would whisper to us the things you want us to know and and hear. And I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't leave here the same person that walked in the doors. But we were different because we responded to what you're doing in our life. I pray, Father, that you would remind us of your great love. That you would remind us of your great care. You take all the stuff of our life and you, uh, you work it all out for good. You do great things with it. And we're going to talk today about being an overcomer, the victory that we have in our faith. And I pray for those here today who feel defeated. And I pray for those here today who live defeated. And I pray, Lord, today that you speak to each of us so that we can live a life that truly demonstrates the victory that we have in Jesus. We've come together, we've interacted together, we've sung together, and now we want to pray together as our Lord and Savior taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.
Okay, take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 John. It's near the end of the New Testament, written by the Apostle John. We've been studying through this book for several weeks now. Written by the Apostle John. He walked with Jesus. He heard Jesus firsthand. And now he is sharing a firsthand account of what Jesus taught. He lives in Ephesus. He's writing to the churches surrounding Ephesus. And if you have your sermon notes, you can read with me that 1 John was written for five reasons. These reasons interweave throughout the book. First of all, to encourage true Christian belonging, true Christian connection, Christian community. Help believers experience true joy regardless of circumstances. Help believers avoid falling into patterns of sin. We're all going to sin. In fact, John tells us if we say we don't have any sin on us, we're a liar, and the truth isn't in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, 1 John 1, 9, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To guard believers from false teaching, to allow believers to know with certainty that they are children of God. One of the things that John has been doing throughout his book, he has been telling us that we are believers, our life has been changed, we'll see that today, but we live in the world. And the world, John explains, is Satan's domain. Satan, Jesus said, is the prince of the world. Paul says that he is the God of this age. And so Satan rules the world, and Satan hates God and is opposed to everything God says and does and is. And so this, this world that he is ruling over is opposed to everything a believer stands for. So here we are as a believer right in the middle of this world, and we are barraged by the stuff from the world. Now that's not news to you. Turn on every television program. And you tell me one program that you've watched lately that in any way would share the truth of Scripture. Instead, it's the truth of culture. Look at the news. Read the newspaper. Look at your phone. And you will see everything in Satan's domain that opposes believers. And here we are right in the middle of that. We're in the world. We're not of the world. We're in the world. But John tells us that while we're in it, it's not always going to be like this. Christ is coming back one day. That's all going to change. But right now, John says, greater is he who is, John, 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in you than what? He who is in the world, right? So here we are in this domain. It's coming at us from all angles, but we can stand strong, not on our own, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is and the work he's done and because the Holy Spirit lives in you. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Now, if it's not bad enough for believers to be in the world, where else are we? the church. And I don't know if this is a shocker to you or not, but not everyone in the church gets along. Did you know that? It's amazing. We have differences. We have different backgrounds. We have different preferences. All of you walked in the door with those today. We have different likes in music, another shocker. 
including the speed, the volume, when the song was written. We have different gifts. And it's always fun for me because I can tell what gift a person has by the things they share with me. And so someone has the gift of giving. You know what they tell me? You don't preach enough on money. Now, not many people say that. <laughs> but there are a few that have the gift of giving. You've got to talk about money more often. Haven't you looked at our budget? We're running behind. Talk more about money. People with the gift of service, they say, am I the only one who serves? Why don't you ever challenge anyone to serve? Do you know how many people we need to serve? People with um, uh, a gift of evangelism, they will say, why don't you ever share the gospel? You've got to share the gospel more. It's got to be in every sermon. It's about the gospel. We all have these different preferences. We see things through those lenses. I haven't had one person tell me they left the Bible shop and went to another church because they liked the voice of the pastor there better. Now, I can't do a thing about that. <clears throat> I saw him at an event not long ago. I told him that story. I liked his voice better than mine too, but I can't do anything. <laughs> the most beautiful thing about the church is that we are different, right? Right? The most challenging thing about the church is what? We are different. Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote this book called Life Together. If you haven't read it, you should. It's kind of a classic book on Christian community. Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Germany. Not everything Bonhoeffer says is right, but he got this right. Pastor in Germany in the 1940s. Actually, he died in a concentration camp. Listen, listen to what he says. The person who has this, this ideal of community demands that it is realized by God, by others, and by himself. He enters the Christian community with his demands, sets up his own law, judges the other believers, and God himself accordingly. He stands adamant, a living reproach to all others in the circle of believers. Listen to this. He acts as if he is the creator of Christian community, as if his dream binds men together. When things don't go his way, he calls the effort a failure. When his ideal picture is destroyed, he sets the community, in Bonhoeffer's words, he sets the community to smash. So he becomes, first, an accuser of the other believers, then an accuser of God, and then an accuser of himself. Throughout his book, his letter, John has been saying, guys, Christian community is it. We've got to get along. We've got to love each other. It will not be the government that changes the culture. It will not come from Washington, D.C. I don't care what you think. It is not going to happen. 
And that's why the focus is always throughout Scripture on the church. Every revival that has happened in every country did not come from the government of that country. It came from the church. And if you want to see revival in our land, it starts with the community of believers. That's what John is telling us. And in John's words, <clears throat> he says it very simply, but, but, but just powerfully, you got to love each other. John says the same thing in our passage today. There are five verses we're going to look at. We're at the last chapter. We have a few sermons left in 1 John. Here's the last chapter. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to work our way down through them. Everyone, <clears throat> John says chapter 5, verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves everyone whoever has been born of him. By this we know that the love of the ch- by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Now when I studied through that I thought yes, they feel like it sometime, don't they? We'll talk more about that in a second. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world our our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? All right, let's work our way through this passage. John says, everyone who believes. That word is not some intellectual assent. That word means I get it. I grasp it. I understand. And I am living it out. It's not head knowledge. It has gone to my heart and it goes out my hands. I believe in Jesus Christ so much that he is the desire of my life. I want everyone to know about it. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. I believe that he is fully man. He was born of a virgin. He came to this earth, but he is also the Christ. He is the anointed one. That's what the word means in Hebrew, Messiah, Greek, Christ. It means the anointed one. He's the one God sent to die on the cross for our sins. And so when John says everyone who believes in Jesus as the Christ, he is saying you come to the point in your life where you cannot save yourself, you realize that, and you have trusted in Jesus alone as the only way, not a good way, not one of many ways, but the only way to have a relationship with the living God. That person, John says, has been born of God. Something supernatural took place. Inside of us, there was this rebirth. Ephesians 2 says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're a spiritual corpse. But God rebirthed us. In his gospel, John uses the word born again. In his epistle, he loves the word born of God. He says it over and over several times. If you look at your notes, you'll see that he says it. Being born of God means to demonstrate right behavior. When you're born of God, you're going to do some things in your life. You're going to demonstrate right behavior. You're not going to make a practice of sin. You're going to overcome the world. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. You're going to guard against Satan's deception. When you are born of God, you realize that you live in a culture that is Satan's domain. Nothing good is going to come from that culture to enhance your spiritual life. And so you are on guard against that. You know who the enemy is, and you know where the enemy's coming from, and you are on guard. You're going to protect yourself against the enemy. 
The last thing uh, John says is that this person who has been born of God loves one another. He says that throughout his book. Here he says it this way. You've been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Believers love other believers. I'm going to say that again. Believers love other believers. They love other believers in a supernatural way. Because love from God is supernatural. It comes from Him. We've been born from above. We've been born of God. We've been born again. And so whether or not you like, we like each other, we have this in common. We're family. We're spiritual siblings. I've been born of God, and you've been born of God. We have that in common. We also know that this love is not only supernatural, this love is demonstrated in action. It's not philosophical. It's not abstract. It's not something we just talk about. It works out in real life. Rubber meets the road. Pick and shovel life. And we also know that this love we have from God is always centered on Christ. That's what distinguishes an impactful Christian community. When we come in and we focus on ourselves and our desires and what we want, we're going to have conflict all over the place. But when our focus is on Jesus, when our focus is on Him, then that changes things. Our desire is not what I want, but how do I best promote love, worship, the Lord who came and died for my sins. Believers love believers. Look at verse 2. By this, we know that word means experience we have come to grips with again not just head knowledge we've experienced that we love the children of God so how do we know that John how do we know for certain we are loving the children of God John says okay I'm going to tell you when we love God and obey his commandments now when I first am reading through this I'm thinking wait a second John you're telling me that I need to love other people, right? All of us together. But then you say, you can tell when you're loving other people if you love God and obey his commandments. That kind of seems disjointed to me, right? So let's think about that. What is John saying there? First of all, let's start in the Old Testament. How many commandments are there in the Old Testament? Anybody have a guess? It's a lot of debate, but the number most people normally come to is 613, right? 613. It's a lot of commandments. And so God says, you're probably not going to be able to remember 613. So, I'm going to make it easy for you. I'm going to take those 613, and I am going to summarize them in Exodus chapter 20, and we'll call them the what? The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are a summary 
of the 613 commands in the Old Testament. So, you shall have no other gods before me. I am it. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The name of the Lord is his person, his work. You don't misuse that. You make sure he's it and there are no other gods. You make sure uh, your home or your car or your job or people, they're not idols in your life. God is it. You remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And we've said uh, many times in the New Testament, that is simply worshiping God day by day. Those are the first four. Those first four focus on who? God. Vertical. So when God summarized the Ten Commandments, he took 613 laws, put them into Ten Commandments, and the first four, he says, those are vertical. Those are about me. But then you know what he does? He says the other six are about other people. Honor your father and mother, right? You don't murder anyone. And not just killing someone physically, you don't wish they were dead. You don't hate them. You don't envy them. No jealousy, gossip, slander, all the things that fall under murder. You don't commit adultery. And not just the physical act, you don't lust after someone else's wife. You don't do that. You don't steal. You don't take things from other people. You don't lie. You don't give false witness. You don't covet. Think about it. Ten commandments, the next six, the six, five through ten, are about other people. So when you keep the ten commandments, first four about God, 60% deal with who? Other people. So John says when you obey God's commandments in doing that, you are loving one another. 60% of the time directly, 100%, when you keep the Ten Commandments, 100% of the time you're obeying God. 60% of the time vertically dealing with other people people. So John says, by this we know we love God when we keep his commandments, because when we keep his commandments, we are loving others. Jesus said, you're probably not going to remember 613, right? And you may not remember 10. So let me make it really easy for you. How about two? Remember when the Guy came to, the scribe came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said in Mark chapter 12, most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your everything you got. What did Jesus just do there? He summarized commandments one through four. Love God with everything you got. Then, he says in verse 30, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. What did Jesus just do here? He summarized commandments 6 through 10. You love God, you love others. So when we obey God, we are directly loving God. Others. When we love God and keep his commandments, we are loving other believers. 60% of the time, directly loving other believers. 
By the way, that's why community is so important. That's why God's idea is the church. That's why Jesus said the gates of hell will not overcome it. That's why the whole New Testament is about local churches. I've met with guys over the, over the years, and, and they'll go in, yeah, you know, when back, back in high school, college, I trusted in Christ. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, what church you go to? Oh, I don't go to church. Well, time out. Time out. How are you going to demonstrate obedience to God on your own? Man, that's pretty easy when you're a community of one, isn't it? When I'm a community of one, I pick every song I want to sing. I give to myself. I serve myself. It's pretty easy living the Christian life when you're a community of one. But that's just not God's idea. It's in the community that we deal with one another. Where in the world are we going to teach our kids how to work through biblical conflict if not in the church? Because we're going to have our issues. Where in the world are we going to teach our children what relationships really look like if not in the church? Christian relationships. Where in the world are your kids going to see marriages lived out 50 years, 60 years, 25 years on our celebration services, if not in the church? The world is not going to teach that to your kids. And so people say, well, you know what? My kids just don't want to come to church. Well, my kids didn't want to eat their peas either. But as long as they were in my house... I said, this is the most important for us. So we go to church. Not because it's my idea, because it's God's idea. So parents, you got to bring your kids. Don't, don't give up on the church. Parents, bring your kids to church. Parents, teach your children the importance of the church the biblical church, the community, this is where you learn to do the Christian life. Men, most men, struggle with lust, pornography. Do you think your friends at work are going to hold you accountable to that? They're going to show you the, tell you the sites to go to. It's in the church there's accountability. It's in the church we sharpen another, others. It's in the church we do this thing together. And when we're doing it well, when we're engaging in the church, then the world looks and says, man, something's different about that group. Jesus said, by this, everyone's going to know you're my disciples if you love one another. The, the point is this. You cannot apply the Christian life apart from Christian community. You just can't do it. Don't give up on the church. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God. When you see this genitive here, it's either subjective or objective, which means you always have to determine, is it the love God has for me or the love I have for God? 
And here, this context, it's the love I have for God. So, so this is the love I have for God. Here's how I prove my love for God, that we keep his commandments. John, you've already said that. But now John adds something. Sometimes it's hard to keep his commandments, but John says, don't give up on that because his commandments are not burdensome. Now, John, I don't know. Because sometimes his commandments seem restricting, don't they? His commandments seem restricting. Now, John didn't say his commandments were easy. He said they are not heavy. They are not grievous. They are not burdensome. So let's think about that. Some of you uh, young people, uh, you're uh, at the age and you're dating. And man, your, your hormones are going crazy. And you want something that is not available for you right now. Right? You guys are acting like you don't have any idea what I'm talking. <laughs> and so it's hard to say, I am not going to do that. Everything in my body wants to. But I'm not going to do that. That seems burdensome, doesn't it? That seems restricting. But let me ask you. One of these days, you're going to have a beautiful wedding. And you're going to look your spouse in the face, eyeball to eyeball. And on that day, you can say, I have saved myself just for you. Now you tell me, what's less burdensome? To give in now? Or to be able to say that then? Let me give you another example. Bible says don't get drunk with wine, right? But the world says, eh, go out, do the thing. Kind of, cool, kind of cool, isn't it? The world says, kind of cool to get buzzed. What's more burdensome? Saying, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to cross that line, whether it's drugs or, uh, or, or alcohol. I'm not going to cross that line. What's more burdensome? Not crossing that line when everyone else is doing it? Or, God forbid, getting in a car when you're buzzed and having a wreck and hurting yourself or, or killing someone else. Now you tell me, what is easier to live with? No, I'm not going to do it. Or that you've hurt someone. God's commandments are always for our protection. They're always for our good. They always have our best interest at heart. I'll give you another one. Adultery. Some of you here toying with adultery. I don't know who you are. You do. For whatever reason, you haven't cultivated your marriage like you should. And so you're toying with it. And it's tempting. And there's a part of you that wants to go do it. And you know you can't. Or you shouldn't. And you're feeling restricted. But I gotta ask you what's more burdensome? Saying, God, even if I want to, I'm not, because I know you don't want me to, and I'm gonna keep your commandments? Or breaking your wife's heart, your husband's heart, losing your family and spending Christmas alone. 
Now you tell me, what's more burdensome? God's commands, God's way is always best for us. And so it is in Christian community. What's more burdensome? To walk out that door because someone else in here is going to walk out that door? Or go to them and say, you know what, this is ridiculous. Let's deal with the conflict. Let's do it in a godly manner. Let's get other people involved. Let's do whatever we need to do. But we're going to do this God's way. Hey, parents, what's more burdensome? Letting your kids do whatever in the heck they want to do and, and giving them the money to do it? Being the parent? Or raising a spoiled, entitled adult who thinks that the world owes them a living because you have always made that happen? You tell me. What's more burdensome? God's way is always right. God's way is always good. His laws are not arbitrary. Always for our good. Look at verses 4 and 5. John says, guys, it's a challenge. But when we've been born of God, the supernatural thing has happened within our heart. We are overcomers. We don't have to give in to the barrage of the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. We got it. That faith is the corpus of all the, all the Christian truth, that, that, that we're a sinner, that Jesus came and died for us on the cross, that he rose again from the dead, that he ascended to heaven, that he sent his spirit to live within us, that we can live this Christian life by the power of his spirit. The, the, the totality of our faith, that is our victory. We do not have to give in to the stuff of the world. It's going to hit us all the time. Are we going to fall sometimes? Yeah. But we don't have to give. We can get back up. And by God's strength and by God's power, we overcome because, not because of who we are, but because of who God is. Who is it that overcomes the world? Who can overcome the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son. Bookends, right? That's where, G that's where John started in five, chapter 5, verse 1. Now that's where he ends. The overcomer is the one who has a relationship with Jesus Christ. A living, a real, not a hobby, but a living, real, dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ. Two things, and then I'm done. Number one, loving one another. We've been talking about this. Loving one another. We can only do this together. This is not a staff thing. This is not a paid staff thing. This is us together. If you know of someone going through a difficult time, caregiving at biblechapel.org, send the information. Let us know so we can be working on that. Don't wait. Man, the thing that kills us is when we learn four weeks later someone had surgery and wanted to know why no one called them. That makes us all look bad. So, let us know. You've got to get their permission. Some people may have a surgery they don't want anyone else to know about. That's fair. But when you have their permission, send that in. If you need care, 
caregiving at biblechapel.org. If you would say, you know what? I want to be someone who gives that care. Where do you send that information to? Caregiving at biblechapel.org. Right? And we'll get you on team. We'll train you. We'll just do care together. Now, you don't have to have a church program to do care for one another. But we can do this thing together. Guys, we can do this together in a significant way. So, you know of someone? Don't say, well, I'm sure the church knows about that. Don't do that. If you're the 50th person that sent it in, all the better. But we need to know. So we can reach out and we can have these teams go. Sometimes it happened naturally. Sometimes we have to have a group go do it. All right? Caregiving at BibleChapel.org. Secondly, we are told we are overcomers. Now, don't answer this question out loud. Do you feel like you're an overcomer? Are you experiencing this victory that God, God's promised? So in a little town I grew up in, <clears throat> there were these two sisters, single, never married, and they lived on this large corner lot in, in a house together. Uh, the women were known to have many cats although I never saw a cat, and I never knew of anyone who went in their house to see the cats, but that was the word. The house was uh, run down, and the women were very wealthy. They had all they needed. But they lived in this house. The house was, was needed, needed repair. Their clothes were ill-fitting, um, old, not real clean. Their lifestyle was simple. For the, for the most part, the sisters lived behind the closed doors. You very seldom saw them out. When they did venture to excursions in town, they always, to the, to the grocery store or wherever they went, they always walked, never together, always alone. Behind that rundown house, there was a garage, also in disrepair. And it was a little garage to just fit one car. And that car sat inside. And you could, through the, through the doors that kind of cracked open, you could just see the back fender of that car just covered in dust. Barely see it. The story I always heard was that the sisters bought this car and they went out on a drive and they had a fender bender and they said, enough with that. And they parked the car in the garage and never drove it again. In fact, a tree of substantial size had grown up right in front of the garage door. That car never got out of the garage. The sisters always intrigued me. They had, they had, they had means to live comfortably. They had the freedom to travel. They had opportunity to develop relationships. Um, their family uh, lived about 15 miles away. They had a car that would have kept them out of the hot Oklahoma summers and the cold, wintry, windy winters. And yet, they lived and died using so little of what was available to them. After the second sister died, I still remember driving by the house and I saw this guy with a chainsaw 
cutting down the tree. Evidently, he had inherited or bought the car. I don't know. And he was cutting down the tree to get that car out of the garage. You know, I, I believe that too many Christians live like those sisters on that big lot in the corner of my little hometown. We are overcomers. We have victory. And yet we let trees grow up in front of the very thing that could provide us freedom. Trees of um, greed because we want it ourselves. Trees of materialism. Uh, trees of bitterness. Trees of unforgiveness. Trees of unresolved conflict. Trees of giving in to, to sin because it kind of feels good for a season, Hebrews says. And that car is sitting in the garage. Everything we need, the freedom's right there. And we let those trees grow up. So, time to cut down the trees, isn't it? Here's my question to you. What tree do you have blocking the freedom, the overcoming, the victory that God has promised you? This isn't some prosperity gospel I'm talking about. God has promised you victory. God has promised you that you can live in this world and be an overcomer. God has promised you. You don't have to give in to every sin. God has promised you. You do not have to live this broken, defeated Christian life. You don't have to do that. So you're going to cut down the tree and be able to live a life of freedom and victory? It's easier just to let it grow, isn't it? And keep the power of the Spirit in the garage. Balls in your court. You going to cut down the tree or not? I ask myself that same question. Worship team's going to come out and lead us in a last song. The lyrics go like this. Listen to these words as, you, as we sing it. Standing here in your presence, in a grace so relentless, I am one by perfect love. Wrapped within the arms of heaven in a peace that lasts forever. Sinking deep in mercy's sea, I'm wide awake, drawing close, stirred by grace, all my heart is yours, all fear removed, I breathe you in, I lean into your perfect love. I love this part. When I'm lost, what? You pursue me, lift my head to see your glory, Lord of all so beautiful, here in you I find Shelter, captivated by your splendor of your face, my secret place. Let's just stay seated. The worship team's going to tell us, ask us to stand a little later in the song. Please, everybody, stay in the room. And let's close together 
with these words. Let this be our prayer. Father, let this be our prayer. Help us in this time, Lord, to see your grace that's so relentless. And Father, during this song, show us where those trees are and give us the courage to cut them down and to experience the victory that we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. We pray in his name. Amen.
the privilege to pray with you, our prayer team, whatever you have going on in your life, pray with you and to pray for you. Lord Jesus, we have sung our prayer to you. You are our one desire. Know God before you. Know idols in our life, worshiping you with all we have and demonstrating what our love for you looks like as we love each other. Lord, the world desperately needs to see that. And I pray as we go out this week in our schools, in our places of work, in our neighborhoods, in our family, we would be those who demonstrate, Lord Jesus, that you are our one desire. We thank you that we have overcome, not because of who we are, but because of what you did for us. We thank you that the victory is in you and your work for us on the cross. And so, Lord Jesus, we leave today in your name, and we pray in your name. Amen.